0: Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah, this is Abdul Rahman, and you're listening to the Heartwork Series on the Qalam Podcast. Heartwork is a weekly session at the Roots Community Space in Dallas, Texas, where young professionals come together and discuss ideas and concepts on how to grow in their religious practice and their relationship with Allah. This particular series is called The Messenger, where the focus of the discussions will be on lessons from the life of the Prophet Muhammad. If you enjoy and appreciate these sessions and these series, then please consider becoming a sustainer of the Roots community space by going to rootsdfw.org sustain. We really appreciate your contribution, we appreciate your prayers, and we appreciate you listening to the programming that we put out. Jazakumullah khairan, wasalamualaikum wa rahmatullah Alrighty, bismillah uh, walhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala abihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. If everybody on Instagram, can you guys hear me okay? And on Facebook... okay audio is okay it's on it's both pages it should be on both okay yeah we're good um sorry guys we're just trying to smooth out everything before we uh, get started we want to make sure that we capture everything inshallah uh and don't get a notification at the end of class that we um, that we did it without audio, which happened today earlier. Um, so we will continue, inshallah, with the study that we've been doing of the life of the Prophet Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Nabawiyah. Uh, we last week began to discuss the um, struggle that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had in Al madina when he moved from Mecca, when he made the Hijrah from Mecca to Medina. And we talked a little bit about how the um, the perception that a lot of us have when it comes to the hijrah is that all of pre-hijrah was very difficult and all of mm-hmm. post-hijrah was very easy. Um, and we're finding out now that that's not the case, that each phase of the life of the Prophet wasallam had its challenges. Each phase had its own difficulties and challenges. So in Mecca, there were the challenges that the Prophet wasallam had regarding, um, you know, having any sort of say in the community, having any sort of space, being able to establish a community, a place of worship, a place of companionship. These were struggles that the Prophet ﷺ had in Mecca. He wasn't able to establish these places. And so through the process of uh, you know meeting with uh, delegations during the Hajj and trying to negotiate and trying to find a place to resettle, uh, and then obviously through the command of Allah ﷻ, through revelation, the Prophet ﷺ, he made hijrah to Medina. Him and the community made hijrah to uh, Medina Munawwara. When the Prophet ﷺ arrived to Medina, the understanding that, again, like I said, the simplistic understanding that a lot of us have, or have had, was things were easy, but we found out last week that things were not instantly easy. That even though he had been elected, or had been chosen, or designated as the leader of the city, and in that way, the Muslim community had their uh, their power and they had their, uh, you know, their space and their their ability to operate, they still had to work on the challenges of integrating with other communities. So there were the Jewish tribes that were there. Uh, there were even pagan tribes that were there. And we talked a little bit last week about the Jewish tribes and sort of the challenges that had happened. Some of the lessons that we took last week was that, number one, the Jewish community was sort of the Um, was the incumbent religious community in Medina. So they represented religion and in representing religion, they represented faith to everybody there. Mm. And so there was a lot of baggage that people had with regards to um, religious trauma, you know, basically is one way to put it, by the fact that these Jewish tribes had treated people so poorly and had used their position with scripture with divine revelation as people who were sent prophets they had used that position from god instead of serving people with these tribes these jewish tribes in medina had um sort of used that 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 status as a way to patronize and as a way to look down upon people who didn't have that and so they even would make fun of the intellectual intelligent capacity of the uh you know the the uh, non-jewish tribes in medina and it was a struggle it was a struggle For those who were not Jewish, to sort of find any sort of respect. So when the Prophet arrived to Medina, he had to basically, uh, you know, uncover all of this unfortunate um, drama that had been there. And then on top of that, you had your normal, you know, tribal issues. So you had tribes that had fought in wars, and you had tribes that had historic, you know, beef between them. And Subhanallah, you know, you had people who, in order to disrupt the the hope and the optimism that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi brought to Medina, you had people who tried to um, uh, instigate between previously fighting tribes that had settled under the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi you had people who had tried to instigate between them. And so you had individuals who um, you know, would try to make people fight and, and and bring up old issues that had already been settled, and the Prophet Sallam had to figure out to how to settle these people. So even though the situation was not the case that the Prophet ﷺ was, you know, fearing for his life in the same way that he was fearing for it, <clears throat> excuse me, in Mecca. Even though it wasn't that intensity of fear for his life, even though he had what what we might call like a a generally safe or functional life in in Medina, there were still a lot of challenges that the Prophet ﷺ had. So some of the lessons that we took or that we can take from that is that challenges never stop, right? These difficulties that we're going through. They never stop, they just change shape, they just change form. If you think of your life as always having tests, um, and it just changes, right, the tests just change, then your life will actually be a lot easier because you're not having false expectations. Allah Ta'ala told us in the Quran that tests are going to be things that we're always going to have, we're always going to be struggling with something. They just take different forms, right? So at some point the test might be health related, it might be finance related, it might be personal it might be religious, it might be, you know, you name it. But there's always going to be a test. And some of them we're better equipped to deal with, right? We're, we might feel like, you know what, I'm more comfortable dealing with this test than I am with this test or this one. But we don't get to choose, right? We don't get to choose. And ultimately the goal of the test is Allah says, ayyukum ahsanu amala," That the whole goal of the test is to see which one of you is going to be able to practice and and pass the test and do it, do it best with your deeds. So... The Prophet arrives to Medina and there are challenges, and he sets up a very welcoming and a very inclusive uh, constitution for the city, but there still ends up being, unfortunately, uh, difficulty there. Specifically, last week we talked about the Jewish tribes. This week we'll talk about the incumbent uh, polytheists. So, those people who were in Medina who were not Muslim and were not Jewish, and they would uh, they would describe themselves or ascribe themselves as people who were polytheists, they were pagans. So they were very close and similar in their ideology and in their way of life to the Meccans that the Prophet ﷺ had come from. But of course, because they didn't have the majority and because they were not in charge and in power, they weren't able to enforce uh, their pagan ways or to uh, you know, punish anyone of faith as, as people of faith were punished in Mecca the most famous amongst them in terms of the life of the prophet sallallahu wa was a person whose name was abdullah bin ubay bin al salul abdullah bin ubay bin al salul interestingly about him he was actually from the khazraj tribe so he was actually from the tribes you know aus and khazraj the two tribes of medina he was from the tribe of khazraj and these are the tribes that again had accepted the prophet sallallahu alaihi and had ordained and designated and distinguished you know distinct Distinctively chosen the Prophet to be their leader. Now, before the Prophet arrived to Medina, what's the context of this man's life, Abdullah bin Ubayy? He was a revered person. He was somebody that was highly respected. Um, he was noble. He was somebody that was considered to be a noble person as well. Um, and he was on the track of leadership. So he was basically climbing the, the, the political uh, you know, podium, so to speak, climbing the political staircase. And so they had even said about him that his people the 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 clan that he was a part of from within his tribe they had just finished stringing together and putting together the jewels that they were going to put onto his crown. So that was the sort of language that they used when they talked about Abdullah ibn Ubay that he was so eminently going to be the leader of that of of the, of Medina, he was going to be one of the leaders of Medina that it was almost as good as gold like they had decided what kind of jewels they were going to put on his crown. And so one can imagine that him as a person, Abdullah bin Ubayyaz Salul, him as a person, he was very, he had grand expectations of the rest of his life, right? He had grand expectations of being a leader and all that comes with being chosen as a person's leader, all the benefits and perks and the power and the status. And so he was obviously looking forward to this. Now, when Islam entered Medina, when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, People got a taste of what true leadership uh, looked like. So when when people interacted with the Prophet ﷺ, they got a taste of what true leadership looked like. And so you would have people like Abdullah bin Ubay and other people, and they would kind of reenact the same old tropes of leadership of being served and you know being respected and and uh, you know being authoritarian. And they would kind of try to you know. Uh, Exact, or they would try to articulate their power by things like force and, you know, all these sort of negative leadership qualities. And then you had the Prophet Sallallahu who came to these people, and remember what we said in Heartwork a few weeks back, uh, he said, you know, the Prophet Sallallahu would tell people that I'm not interested in the wealth that you have. I'm not interested in the number of people that you have. I'm, I'm not interested in that. So people are trying to, uh, you know, get... People are trying to get the Prophet ﷺ to come stay with with them, and he's not interested in all the things that they're saying. And so nevertheless, there, people then start to have a comparison between what the Prophet ﷺ is like, and what uh, Abdullah bin Ubay is like. And so they have that comparison, it's, it's there for them. And so now they, the people, not only have they accepted the Prophet ﷺ, right? But they've even started, their hearts are starting to incline towards the Prophet ﷺ. So they've accepted him politically, but now they're actually starting to love him, right? And now they're starting to get closer to him. And so what happened was, uh, the Prophet ﷺ had entered Medina and people naturally started to incline towards him. So Abdullah bin Ubay he starts to feel as if the Prophet ﷺ stole his leadership from him. So he decided that he was going to try to be a a pagan and try to win people back that way. After a short time, he realized that being pagan and being a polytheist was not the way to win people back because the the, the waves were trending towards Islam. And so he said, you know what, and this is later after the Battle of Badr, a couple years later, he said that, you know what, I'll be Muslim, I'll accept Islam. Uh, And he ended up accepting Islam, but he became known as the uh, like the leader of the hypocrites, and so this is a, this is going to be the first session where we're going to talk about this new class of people called hypocrites, right? Um, and so it's is very powerful actually to talk about, but he became known as the leader of the hypocrites. So what is a hypocrite in the Islamic tradition? A hypocrite is somebody. The word is nifaq, hypocrisy. Nifaq, nafaqa in the Arabic language means like a tunnel, right? So if actually, if you're actually traveling and uh, majority Arabian countries, like like if you go to Saudi Arabia, if you go to any, I mean, obviously we can't travel now, but if you ever, uh, inshallah, get the chance to go, you'll see that they'll have nafaq, like tunnels, right? So when you're driving, they'll say, you know, most most memorably for me is nafaq, malak fahad, is the tunnel of, of King Fahad, which is the one that leads you from Aziziyah to Mina, right? And so in Hajj, we always tell everybody, remember nafaq, malak fahad, remember that one, right? Because if you ever get lost, You'll just ask somebody and they'll point you in the direction and you can get there. But why is this important? This word nafaq, nafaqa means a person who makes a tunnel or digs a tunnel, nafaqa, that they put a tunnel. Why is a tunnel important? Well, because the word nifaq means hypocrisy. And typically, when they, would, when they would refer to tunnels in the Arabic language in the desert, there was a, a kind of rodent or a rat that would dig tunnels and would be able to be in one place and then would go into its tunnel and... And there was another exit on the other side of the tunnel. And so the, the rat, in order to escape the predator, right, it would be sitting and the predator would come and it wouldn't just run away, it would go underground and it would be able to come out somewhere else. And so it basically would be able to easily access and escape very easily. And so the Arabist, the Arab uh, linguists, when they derive this word nifaq to mean hypocrisy, what does that mean? It means that basically somebody is two-faced. Basically somebody is two-faced. So they act one way when they're over here and they act another way over here. Or when they're in this situation and something tests them or danger is coming, then they're able to leave and go back to ease. They don't deal with the difficulty like everybody else. They don't stay loyal to their people. They don't stay loyal to the situation. So Abdullah bin Ubay was somebody who, again, was known as, later on, he became known as the leader of the hypocrites. But what was challenging about these hypocrites was that Nobody knew their hypocrisy except for Allah. Because if somebody says, I'm a Muslim, right? If somebody says, I'm Muslim, then we take nahkum we take whatever is apparent. So we take whatever somebody tells us, right? That's how we have to operate because none of us know what's in the heart of another person. So the challenge then became, how do we know whether someone is sincere in their Islam? Right, how do we know? This was the first time In the history of Islam, that you had people who would convert to Islam or accept Islam or join the Muslim community, and they didn't know whether or not that person was legit. Why? Well, because in Mecca, there was no reason to be a hypocrite. In fact, there was more of a reason for you to not be Muslim than there was to be Muslim. So in Mecca, in times of difficulty, right, that's where sincerity blossoms, when times are tough, that's when people who, are, your sincerity, it, it the fruits are starting to show now, right? But in times of ease, that's where hypocrisy blossoms, because that's where, you know, everything's easy, we can take it easy, we don't got to really prove anything, we can just kind of, you know, be who we are, there's a lot of vagueness, we can hide behind things and, 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 and such. So, in Medina now, you had these people who would, there was this class of people called the munafiqoon, right, or the munafiqin that they would be Muslim on the outside because being Muslim gave them some sort of uh, benefit. It gave them a social benefit. Whether it gave them a position or a status or it, it, it uh, you know, saved them from having to pay a, a tax or anything like that. There was, there was a group of people that started to appear. So what lesson do we take from this, this Abdullah bin Ubay and the, the advent of hypocrisy? is that and this is one of the things that we've been covering in the benefits of trials the, the book that we're doing on on, uh, on Instagram every day you know one benefit of a trial we're covering it every day we're actually more than halfway done alhamdulillah there's 17 benefits and I think today or tomorrow's gonna be number 9 so we're just about there but one of the things that he says early on is he says that trials allow you to taste sincerity tests in life trials in life they allow you to taste sincerity al-ikhlas ال- right the ikhlas ta'ala like having true ikhlas for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala why is that the case because only when times get tough only when difficulty happens do people actually start to show their true colors and you know it's no secret right it's, we don't have to pretend like it's not happening this coronavirus situation is very difficult for everybody it's very challenging you know on on, on a wide spectrum of, of a, wide, a wide array of of different you know points people are feeling very challenged And that's okay. It's okay for us to feel challenged. You know, we're starting now to understand that we're not in control. We're starting now to understand that, you know what, like, subhanAllah, I thought that I was completely independent. Right? The word independence is a fake word in our theology. It's not real. It only exists for Allah. Allah is the only independent. Everyone else is dependent. So now we're starting to feel that, right? And subhanAllah, in these moments when we're being tested, our sincerity is also being tested. So you know, we say that we're Muslim, we say that we sincerely submit to Allah, we say that we call upon Him and ask Him for help, and then times get difficult, and everybody's looking everywhere else except for Allah for a solution, but now everyone's starting to turn back. There was actually a news piece that I just saw, it was phenomenal, subhanAllah, the news piece said that there was a man in Ohio who got coronavirus, he got the disease associated with it, he had to be admitted to the hospital, Uh, the doctors unfortunately... Uh, misdiagnosed or there was something wrong with their diagnosis. They didn't get it right. They come back and tell him that he actually does have the problem and they're not sure what to do. And the doctor tells him straight up, says this. And I don't know if it's because it's Ohio and I don't know, but he says point blank. And it's very rare that you will hear medical professionals talk like this, especially. Uh, He said, listen, we don't know what to do. At this point, my advice to you is to pray to God. (laughs) He says, like, my professional advice to you as a person is to pray to God. And and the person they're interview the news is interviewing him and he's laying on the on the hospital bed and he's like are you serious right now like are you actually telling me that like it's shocking another one of our 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 um, our members here you know our team members here he was saying that at his hospital he's a physician he was saying that at his hospital um, you know every morning when they have their team meetings they kind of talk about updates and different things because this whole situation is difficult for everybody and it's developing for everybody he was saying that you know every meeting we sit and we, we update everybody at the end of the meeting, now we started saying a prayer. He said, now as a team we started saying prayers. And each person is given a new chance to say a prayer. And so he, he was given uh, the chance. And he, he read from Surah Al-Sharah, right? mal الْأَصْرِ yusra, That with every, ease there's dif- with every difficulty there is ease. With every difficulty there is ease. And so, you know, anyways, the point being is that whenever times get tough, who we are and who we want to be, they meet, right? So who I am and who I want to be. I think I'm this person, but I'm actually this person. And Allah puts tests in our lives and we're allowed to see how far that gap is between us. Are we actually who we are? Are we actually who we want to be? Like, is who I am who I actually want to be? And tests give us the ability to see it if we're really far apart or if we're close together. So this, these tests, right? In Mecca even though they were really difficult for the believers, when they arrived in Medina, it was like something that they didn't have to deal with. They didn't have to wonder, am I sincerely a Muslim? That wasn't a question that Abu Bakr had to ask. That wasn't a question Bilal had to ask. It wasn't a question that any of the muhajireen they had to deal with. Okay? Obviously, everybody's concerned about the sincerity of their faith, but they had gone through so much with no worldly benefit. They had gone through so much with no worldly benefit that they had this tranquility in their hearts knowing that, you know what, like I, I don't, I don't have to doubt my sincerity, like I remember what I went through, you know, I have the scars to prove it, kind of thing. And so Abdullah bin Ubay, he becomes the first person that introduces really this concept of hypocrisy into uh, Islam, right, which is what, taking advantage of the title or the label or whatever and benefiting from being a part of the Muslim community while not actually believing in Islam. So being Muslim on the outside, not on the inside. May Allah protect us from that. You know, this is something, again, it's easy to point at him and say, look at him, look at this guy, look at this, you know, and, and, and to be critical. But hypocrisy is something that every true believer should be concerned about. Not necessarily in the way that he was, right? He was a true, like, absolutely true hypocrite, fully. And we know that because Allah confirmed it to us through the Prophet Wasallam. So I just said earlier that it's unseen. It is unseen. Allah Ta'ala made that known to us right as an example. But hypocrisy is something that all of us have to be concerned about. Maybe not hypocrite with a capital H, but parts of hypocrisy. You know, the Prophet Sallallahu said that that uh, you know there are three and in another narration he said there are four uh, parts to a hypocrite that uh that either had Wa e that tumina khana, the hadith the one narration with three says that when the person talks that they lie. Right? حَدَثَ كَذَبَ that had hadha that When they speak, they lie. Wa وَعْدَ And when they promise somebody something, they break the promise. Like I tell you I'm gonna do it, and then I never show up or I never do it. وَإِذَا that tumina And when that person is trusted, right, when they're when they're trusted, they violate that trust. So Think to yourself like, wow, subhanAllah, these are three traits that are very common in society. People lie, okay, I, you know, you can even talk about ourselves. Wow, these are things that I've done. I've lied before, unfortunately I've broken promises before, and maybe I've actually violated trust. I'm not talking about myself, but Allahu Alam, like this is something that we've all maybe done. So this is an indication that hypocrisy can exist even within, you know, hypocrisy can exist even within uh, the heart of a person, right, at some level, hi- hypocrisy can exist, even if that person is not truly a hypocrite, okay, but they can exist in that way, um, it looks like we're seeing some people saying that it's frozen, so we'll restart the stream, inshallah, sorry, one second, it's sorry, sorry for everyone who's on Facebook, uh, we're just going to resend the Instagram stream because it got frozen for some reason. Okay, Bismillah. So we're back now. So, for those of you who said it's frozen, you can, you can watch this, inshallah, you can jump back on. So, this hypocrisy was a big deal. Now, what were some of the things that we noticed from Abdullah bin Ubay in his story that taught us about his hypocrisy? Number one, there's a narration where the Prophet ﷺ was riding, and this narration in, in, uh, in narrated by Imam Bukhari, and it's in the seerah of Ibn Ishaq and he says that the Prophet Sallallahu wa was riding and he was riding a donkey with Usama bin Zayd anh, who was behind him on the donkey, so they were riding together and they were going to visit a companion by the name of Sa'd bin Ubada and they were visiting him in an area uh, that was that belonged to the family of Harith bin al-Khazraj so that they were visiting a Khazraji area, And remember who was from Khazraj? Abdullah bin Ubay. So the Prophet ﷺ is going to visit some of the people from Khazraj. Okay, he's going to go visit them. And this was before the Battle of Badr. So this was right before the Battle of Badr. And Abdullah bin Ubay didn't convert until roughly around the Battle of Badr, after the Battle of Badr. So they, uh, the Prophet ﷺ, he passed by this group, this gathering, in which Abdullah bin Ubay was there. And there was a group, it was a mixture of Muslims, it was a mixture of pagans, it was a mixture of uh, Jewish people. And amongst the Muslims was a man by the name of Abdullah bin Rawaha, Abdul, Abdullah bin Rawaha who was one of the notable companions of the Prophet Wasallam. So when the Prophet Wasallam rode, obviously when you're riding an animal, uh, you don't control that animal and how it's walking. And so what ended up happening was the donkey, when it walked towards the gathering, it kind of made some dust. You know, like when the donkey walks on sand, there's going to be obviously some dust, a little bit of dust. And so uh, Abdullah bin Ubay, he over-exaggerated, like the Hadith says that he exaggeratively took his cloak and he covered his face, right? Like there was a little bit of dust. I want you to imagine somebody drops like a a lifesaver candy on the floor and, and someone flops like in the NBA, like they fall backwards. That's basically the extent of exaggeration that was happening. So the Prophet Sallallahu so rides up on a donkey. He's not like galloping. He's not sprinting across. He's the, 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 the donkey is walking slowly. And he says, Abdullah bin Ubay takes his, his, uh, his cloak and he covers his face. And he says, uh, keep your dust away from us. Keep your dust away from us. And he said it in a way that in Arabic, it could have been like your dust to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Or it could have been the dust from your donkey, right? Like interpretive wise. And he was doing that on purpose as a way to sort of insult the Prophet ﷺ, may Allah protect us. So he said, do not stir your dust around us. Okay? Wishing to... And, and the Prophet ﷺ, it says in the, in the narration, that as a means of trying to maybe like calm the situation, because it was obviously super awkward, right? And everyone there is witnessing it, and they're seeing this man, Abdullah bin Ubay, who they once respected, and so obviously they're still going to have some respect for him. The Prophet wa sallam, he sees this unfolding, and he says, you know, the best case scenario, I'm on, I'm on my way somewhere... But the best case scenario right now for me is to get off my my donkey and to just make some time for people. You know, like I don't want to be seen as that guy who just walked by and, you know, this guy complains that I made too much dust and I just keep going and I ignore his, uh, his complaints. So al so didn't just assume that he was like so high and mighty that he didn't have to actually like fix people's perception. And a lot of times we deal with this, the culture now of of, you know, I am who I am. I don't really need to explain myself to anybody. I don't really have to you know, clarify anything. People, if they want to know who I am, they'll get to know who I am and that's it. That's a very interesting perspective to carry in life because it's, it, it's somewhat entitled, right? Like, you know, you're not somebody who is so protected from people's suspicions and perceptions that you have this universally you know, positive right to everybody. People might think of you in a negative way. If people did this to the Prophet ﷺ, and he was the messenger of God, then isn't it the case that people are going to treat us this way? Yeah, of course. We should never become so upset when people hurt us. So upset, you know, because people hurt the Prophet ﷺ. Did he get upset? Sure. But he learned how to handle it in a way that was so graceful, and so beautiful. And so what did he do? He didn't just let the situation happen and say, you know what, if anyone wants to know what the real story is, they'll come find me, they'll message me, they'll talk to me. He said, you know what, let me go and talk to them. Let me try to make things clear. Let me try to, you know, just kind of spend some time with them. So he goes and he sits with them. And he, you know, asks them how they're doing. Alhamdulillah, doing well. Right, he's speaking to everybody. So he's speaking to the Muslims, speaking to the pagans, speaking to the Jews. And he's just checking in on everybody. Why? Because he's a leader. So he's checking up on people. How are you doing? How's your family? How's your family? how are your kids and you know he reminds them everybody you know we're all brothers we're sisters like we got to be in this together we're a new community like he's trying to basically positively reinforce people and as he's finishing his reminder right he's telling people you know god is with us and god will protect us and make sure you do the good make sure you do good deeds by god and you do good by god as he's finishing Abdullah bin Ubay who is like noticeably not paying attention to him who's like purposefully avoiding looking at him, and you know, you can tell there's one person who just doesn't want to be there. So he's just kind of like looking around, and he's making it very noticeable. He says, oh, person, right? Yeah, fulan. Fulan in Arabic is like, oh, somebody, right? So imagine if you're talking to somebody, and you're like, yeah, yeah, anyways, you're just a nobody, you're a somebody, right? I don't even know who you are. So he says, oh, person. He goes, I don't know if your words are true or not, whatever you just said. Like whatever you just said, I don't know if I could take it for truth or not. He goes, but let me just give you some suggestions. Let me just tell you give you some, some advice. Why don't you just go to your home? And if anybody wants to hear any of this, they can just come to you. This is what he's saying to the Prophet. This is what he's saying. And he goes He goes, Don't come to us and try to talk to us. Like we're here, we're hanging out. Like don't try to come don't try to come bring your your business up with us. Like that's not Just sit in your house. If anyone wants to come learn from you, they'll come learn from you, right? And so he's being extremely disrespectful, right, to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ, uh, he, he looks at Abdullah bin Rawaha, who is there in the gathering. He looks at the Muslims. And Abdullah bin Rawaha, he says, Ya Rasulullah, please come here anytime you want. Like, please come here all the time. We are so happy to have you. And he says, Embrace us with your talk. Come to our homes. He's like, forget, forget you being in your home, Ya Rasulullah. Come to our houses, our living rooms. Come talk to us and our families. We're more than happy to be here with you. And he says, we love hearing from you. And it is our honor that God has given you to us. It is our honor that God has given you to us. So look at the difference between a hypocrite and a believer now. There's like expose number one, okay? You have somebody who, when he hears, qala Allah اللَّهُ وَقَالَ Rasul, because the Prophet is quoting the Qur'an and obviously he's a Rasul. So when he's quoting the Qur'an, he's quoting, he's giving people, you have one person whose heart is so sick, is so ill, right? And this is obviously before he faked into Islam, but nevertheless, his heart remained the same, which was he just couldn't stand it, you know? And ask yourself, like genuinely, ask myself, like when I'm hearing someone remind me about something in my faith, if somebody says, you know, Abdurrahman uh, I read this hadith and I think you should hear, like do I feel like, yeah, 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 get it over with, like let me just hear it, you know? Or like, yeah, maybe another time, maybe another time. That's that's more on the spectrum towards Abdullah bin Ubay than it is on the side of Abdullah bin Rawaha, right? And look at this, subhanAllah, their names are even the same. Abdullah bin Ubay and Abdullah bin Rawaha. So that's number one. Number two is that Abdullah bin Ubayy saw the Prophet ﷺ as being like a liability in Medina. So he was saying to the Prophet ﷺ like, you being here is causing us issues. So just go to your house and whoever wants to talk to you, they'll come talk to you. Abdullah, Abdullah bin Rawaha was like, "O oh Rasulullah, if you come to our house, that would be the happiest thing for us. It is an honor to be associated with you in any way, shape or form. Right. So do I feel like Islam honors me or dishonors me? Do I feel embarrassed or proud? Do I feel happy or sad about my Islam? Right. Again, it doesn't mean that I am or I'm not a hypocrite, but these are just sort of the characteristics. You can see them. You can start to see them being played out in the seat of the Prophet Wasallam. So at that point, the tensions were so high that the Muslims and the polytheists, the pagans and the Jews, they started to argue with each other. They started to fight with each other. So, you know, you had the Muslims saying one thing, you had the Jews saying another thing, and you had the poly- polytheists, the pagans saying another thing, until physical fighting almost broke out. The Prophet ﷺ he calmed everybody down and he said, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry," and he apologized and he said, "Look, everyone, just relax, just chill, and uh, you know, just, I'll let you go back be, uh, about your day." And uh, he 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 kind of got back onto his animal and he took Osama bin Zaid al He said, "Let's just go," and they went until they reached Saad bin Ubadah Saad bin Uba'dah. and when they when they got to Saad, Subhanallah. Sa'ad said, Ya Rasulullah, he noticed, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I can tell that there's something bothering you. I can tell that there's something on your face that's bothering you. Like I, I look into your, into your eyes and I can tell something's wrong. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, yes, you're right, you got it. So Sa'ad said, what is the Ya Rasulullah? And the Prophet ﷺ said, he told him the whole story. He said, this is what happened. I was there and, you know, this, this guy Abdullah bin Ubay, he said these things and I don't know why he would say such a thing. And subhanAllah, Sa'ad bin Obada said, Ya Rasulullah, he said, I would sacrifice my parents for you. Like, I would give up everything for you. It's, it's, you know, be abi wa ummi, Ya Rasulullah. It's one of the, the statements that was made, like, may my mother, my father be given for your sake. It's, it's, it's a, it's an expression, meaning like, what's more to a person than their parents? So they say, like, I will give everything for your sake. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, just forgive him. Right? Just forgive him. And overlook him and just kind of, you know, ignore him. And he actually then gives the Prophet the context. He said, Those people that you were with, they had just, before you came to Medina, they had just agreed to accept him as their leader. They had just agreed. So when you came and you brought the truth to us, he said that's why he's responding in this way. He has some hatred in his heart because he's not able to uh, you know, he's not able to get over that. So the Prophet he understood, very powerful, he understood, he didn't try to like argue back, or he didn't try to, you know, uh, exert his power on anybody, he just said, oh, okay, I, I get it. You know, he was able to empathize, even though he didn't agree, and this is, a, by the way, a very beautiful prophetic skill the Prophet ﷺ had, was that he would be able to understand people's position without without agreeing with them. He would he would get it, you know, he would get it. He wouldn't say like, I don't get it, what's your problem? He would understand you know, the the young man who wanted to commit zina, and he asked the Prophet ﷺ, like, can I have a fatwa basically for this? The Prophet ﷺ, he understood. He got it. He said, look, what, what's the deal? Tell me, what is it? Do you like this girl? Is that the situation? He said, yeah. And he goes, okay, you like her, but is this appropriate? The person said, no. He said, okay, think about your, your, your mother, your sister, any of the women in your family. Would you like it if somebody came and was looking for that without commitment, marriage? He said, no, I would hate it. So the Prophet ﷺ said, okay, Think about this person's family now. How do you think they feel? How do you think her mom feels? Her brother? Her sister? Her, how do you think they all feel, knowing that you're here asking for this? So, Subhanallah, you see his ability to empathize with people very strong. Even somebody who had basically made him like a sworn enemy, Abdullah bin Ubees like he was able to empathize with him. Okay, so he forgave him, and he uh, and he told his companions as well to excuse them. And to be patient with them. Because obviously when they see, when, when the Muslims see the Prophet being treated like this, they already have, you know, the muhajireen, they already have some PTSD from Mecca. They're like, oh no, not again. Like we're not, we are not going to let this happen again. So they become very, and then the Ansar, they're like, no, you did not move here to get treated like this. So everyone's very protective of the Prophet Wasallam. And they said, you know, there's no way we're going to let him get treated like this. And the Prophet ﷺ said, "It's okay, guys. Just relax. Okay, just relax." Later on, there's another narration in which the Prophet ﷺ somebody said to him, "Ya Rasulullah, maybe if you go and try to meet with Abdullah bin Ubay, like if you if you go meet with him, and you kind of give him that you know that honor, right?" Uh, there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he says, "Izajau karimu faakrimu." That. If a person who is noble from a people comes to you, then give them honor, like, like, noble, like uh, uh, treat them with respect, right? So he's saying if somebody like is, is noble and they come to you, treat them with honor and respect because like there's, you know, they're, they're viewed as a noble person in their community. So don't disrespect them just because you don't think they're noble, right? Call them whatever their title is. You know, if I, if I meet with a person from another faith, like a pastor or a rabbi, uh, or a priest, I don't. I don't just call them by their first name because I think that you know they're not my pastor, not my rabbi. I don't believe in their the faith mm-hmm. that they're preaching. No, I I address them respectfully, Pastor so and so, Rabbi so and so, Father so and so, right? Like why? Because they're they're from a noble group of their people. They're they're considered noble in their people. So someone told the Prophet Ya Rasulullah maybe if you went to him and tried to talk to him like one on one, it would change his mind. So the Prophet Saws he went to him. And he went all the way up to him. And uh, he said the land was kind of like a marshy area. It was like a former, like, swamp or pond area. And so it was dried up. And obviously, if you've been to those areas, you know, there have been, uh, you know, uh, if you maybe like sometimes uh, in, in wetlands, like you, if you go and there was water there and not anymore, it's kind of like a very strong smell. It's a very earthy smell. It's very strong. So he goes up to Abdullah bin Ubay, and they're in this dried out marshy area and Abdullah bin Ubay says to the Prophet sallam, I'm just laughing because honestly I just cannot understand how someone like this could exist in history, it's just phenomenal to me he says, stay away from me by God the stench of your donkey has harmed me he says, stay away from me, your donkey smells bad, like I don't want you to come near me anymore All right, again just so arrogant, just so arrogant subhanAllah, so the Prophet Wasallam. So there was a person from the Ansar, a Muslim from the Ansar, who heard this and he told him, he said, Oh Abdullah. And Abdullah bin Ubay looked at him and he said, Abdullah bin Ubay, he said, let me tell you, his donkey smells better than you. right? So if you think his donkey smells bad, then you smell worse. His donkey smells better than you. And so Abdullah's people from the the pagan tribe of Khazraj, then they started to argue with each other. Then they started to fight the Ansari man and this person. Uh, you know the uh, of the love and obeys people. So the companions, they started to fight. So what happened is they started to grab some sticks and some some shoes and they started to grab all this, this stuff to fight. And that's when Allah Ta'ala revealed the ayah from Surah Hajarat, uh where he says, and so on. It's a, it's a longer ayah. I think it's like ayah number nine or ten. So the ayah basically translates to if there are two people amongst you, in the believers, then and they fight, then you should settle between the two. And it continues, the verse continues and says, and if one of them overpowers the other, and they are oppressing them, then you should help the one who's oppressed until uh, you know, until justice is restored, etc. But anyways, point being is that that's when that verse was revealed. And this is the Prophet some trying to again make an effort. Okay? Um, and Abu Huraira, he over to me. Why does he keep, he's so dusty, you know, like being very disrespectful. And this is really powerful. I hope you're ready for this. He says, Abdullah bin Ubay's son, who's a Muslim, who converted to Islam, Abdullah bin Abdullah, that's his name. He said, Ya Rasulullah, if you want me to, right, you guys know what that means? He says, I'm gonna, if you want me to, I'll bring you, I'll bring his body to you, basically. Like, I'll bring his body to you. Let me know. He just couldn't take it. At some point, it just reached, too much. It just reads too much. Because I want you to imagine now, like this guy, Abdullah bin Abdullah, his son, عنه, is living in the home of this person, like hearing all this stuff. So he's like, Ya Rasulullah, if you want me to, I'll if I were the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and somebody offered, I'd be like, Look, man, I can't say yes, I can't say no, you do you. Right? But the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, No. Rather, he said, Be good to your father. Try to be good to your dad. And give him good companionship. Try to be a good influence on him. <laughs> Try to be a good influence on him, you know. You can't guarantee anything, but try to be a good influence on him. So this was how the Prophet ﷺ handled this person who was a straight-up hater, just 100% absolute hypocritical hater of the Prophet ﷺ. He handled him with such grace. You know, one of the one of the reasons why I like telling the story of Abdullah bin Ubay is because it shows us that if Allah's most beloved, who's the Prophet ﷺ, if Habibullah the most beloved of Allah, is being, is, is Allah is putting a test in his life in the form of a person, then guess what? You and I are going to have people in our life that are going to test us. Absolutely you're going to have people that are going to test you. The book that we're reading, the balwa Wal Mihin, The book is called The Benefits of Trials and Tests. One of the points that we just went over, I think it was number six or seven, he said that one of the benefits of trials is that you get to learn how to forgive people. And he continues and he basically, you know, he clarifies and he says, if you don't have anybody in your life that tests you, how would you ever taste the sweetness of forgiveness? If Allah just sent people to your life constantly, or if every person in your life, friend or whoever, if they never wronged you and they never oppressed you, how would you ever learn how the sweetness of forgiving somebody ever felt? You know, how the, the empowering moment where you feel like, you know what, I don't have to let this person hold me hostage emotionally, I can forgive them. If Allah just constantly sent us people who agreed with us and supported us and did nothing but pleased us, then we would never have the feeling, it's a really beautiful feeling, of when you finally come to terms with your disappointment and you say, you know what, I forgive this person. And those, those words, that phrase, I forgive this person, not like you're saying it to them, But just, I forgive them. Internally, the sweetness that that brings to your heart, you would never experience it. So, Izzuddin ibn Salam he says, when God tests you by putting somebody in your life that tests you, God is trying to open the door of forgiveness for you. He's sending it your way. God's not trying, of course, God doesn't have to try, but God is giving you the ability to, to have that opportunity. Meaning what? Meaning that if you forgive this person, now you have tasted this sweetness. And number two, the Quran says, forgive them, pardon them. Wouldn't you love God to forgive you? So when you forgive somebody, Allah forgives you. The more you forgive people, the more you're going to be forgiven on the day of judgment. Right? So these these stories of Abdullah bin Ubay, as he's hounding, and he does more. His name's gonna come up again and again and again. Right? He's like the main antagonist. And the Prophet Sallallahu just deals with him. The worse he gets, the better the Prophet gets. The worse he gets, the better the Prophet gets. Wait till you hear the stories of what this man does to the life of the Prophet and how the Prophet uh responds to that. We'll conclude in, in a couple minutes, but I wanted to finish by leading on to what's going to happen next week. So, we've made it clear now that Medina was not like a, a dream place. Obviously, it is a dream place for us, but at the time, we, t- we tend to think that it was Mecca, hard, Medina, easy. But, we just now have clarified that no there were actual challenges in Medina. There were a lot of difficulties. It may have not been immediately life or death, right? It may have not been as immediate or as emergent in Mecca or I'm sorry in Medina as it was in Mecca, but there were still a lot of political issues, right? Some political tensions. And so, the Quraysh in Mecca, they didn't just disappear. They didn't just let the Prophet Muhammad go. You know, for so long they didn't want the Muslims to leave and so they didn't just let the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam go obviously when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam left they couldn't uh you know they couldn't capture him he left he got away he set up his community but the Quraysh now since they were polytheist they reached out they pagans they reached out to the to the pagans of medina and what they tried to do was they tried to convince them they tried to convince them to uh to fight against the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so they said look you guys should you know you guys should stand up for your city you should protect yourselves you should not give in to this person. So they tried to basically rile them up. When that didn't work, then it's a hadith narrated in Abu Dawood, one of the great scholars of our uh, hadith traditions, uh, Imam Abu Dawood. He says that there was a person from the pagans of Quraysh who wrote a letter, who sent a message to none other than Abdullah bin Ubay and some of the other pagans who stayed in Medina. And he said, look, we try to be nice with you, we try to convince you to, to fight against this guy because he's causing harm. But let me put it this way. He said in his letter, you guys basically, without realizing it, you've given sanctuary to somebody who is, who's from us. He's one of our people. He's causing us issues. And they said that you have given him safety and you've ruined what we're trying to do with him and protect our, our tribe from him. And you've given him safety. So they're saying you have two choices. Number one, you either fight him for us, because he's with you, he's not with us. You fight him for us, or you drive him out of his of, of where he is. So you, you kick him out. You either kill him or kick him out. Right? Those are the only two choices you get. So Quraysh is threatening now the pagans of Medina. You either kill this guy or you kick him out. If you don't do that, they're saying, we're going to come and kill you, and we're going to take your women from you. We're going to come and slave your families and your children, and we'll kill you. When the letter reached Abdullah bin Ubay, now remember, we just went over who Abdullah bin Ubay was. Abdullah bin Ubay did not need a big reason to go against the Prophet ﷺ. Wa he was clearly already invested against the Prophet ﷺ. So when he read this, he gathered some of his people, and he said, guys, we have no choice. We have no choice. They did have a choice, of course. They didn't have to take what was offered to them. They did have a choice, but they, he said, no, we have no choice. We have to fight the Prophet ﷺ. So he gathered people, and he says let's go fight him. When this news got to the Prophet ﷺ, that people are gathering in Medina to start fighting with you, the Prophet ﷺ, he went and he preemptively met with them. So he saw this group gathering, and he said, hey guys, can I talk to you for a second? And they were all like, just getting ready to fight him. And he said, look, I know what's happening. Like, I expected this. Like, I, I, you know, you guys have been threatened by Quraysh, right? And they said, yeah. He said, the threats of Quraysh have affected you greatly they've, I can tell that they've rattled you, right? You guys are, are, are not well. And he goes, but they cannot do to you what you don't let them do to you. They can't do anything to you unless you let them do it to you, right? So if you want, if you want to fight, if you want to try, that's not them, that's you. You guys are the ones who control your own decisions. He goes, do you really want, he goes, think about, let's think about this logically. Do you really want to fight against people that are like your brothers and your sisters and your sons and your daughters? Because Even though they were from different religious tribes, these people lived together, they intermarried, you know, this was a society that was very well connected. So he's asking this small group of pagans in Medina, do you guys really want to fight against people that you're you're related to? Is that what you really want this to turn into? When they heard this from the Prophet ﷺ, they decided that, you know what, we're not going to do this, we're not going to fight against the Prophet ﷺ. And that news got back to Quraysh. So what happened next is what we're going to talk to, what we're going to talk about next week, inshallah. What happened? How did Quraysh respond when their first plan failed to get the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam while he was in Medina? We'll talk about that, inshallah, next week. We ask Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to make us people who are prophetic in our character. We ask Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to give us the ability to practice everything we said and heard. We ask Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to grant us the ability to keep our faith strong in times of difficulty and to never fall victim of our own souls and desires, but that we can keep on the straight path no matter how difficult it gets. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to uplift the world from the challenge that it's in right now. And that if we are the reason for this struggle and this challenge, that Allah Ta'ala guide us to remedy and rectify the situation. Amin, Ya Al-Amin. everybody. Uh, I miss everybody being here, of course. Uh, I was talking to Sheikh Hasib last week. I sent him a picture of the empty space and he said something that gave me goosebumps. He said... Uh, don't worry you're lecturing the angels so all the malak are there listening to you so um you know obviously i like having them here too (laughs) but i miss having everybody else so inshallah 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 we're going to keep going as we say here at roots community never stops so community is not going to stop we're going to keep going however we can whatever the legal authorities allow us to do we're going to do it uh inshallah right now that that limitation is uh you know pretty strict so we can't do much but we're going to do whatever we can do inshallah um, to keep the community going cuz community never stops battle clock everybody love you all for the sake of allah i'll see you guys uh, next week here in our home inshallah take care assalamu alaikum wa